Jones, Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones. It's a podcast about Indiana Jones. Every movie, one minute at a time. Indiana Jones, minutes. Welcome back to the Indiana Jones Minute a daily podcast in which we get right to the heart of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom one minute at a time. I'm Pete Mummert. I'm Tom Taylor. I'm Jerry Porter. And today we're joined once again by J.W. Rensler, author of The Complete Making of Indiana Jones and The Making of Star Wars, both indispensable books that I think belong on the shelves of any indie or Star Wars fan. Uh, Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again, Jonathan. Well, thanks for having me. First what first minute was fun. <laughs> <laughs> this won't be even better. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. And we're here to discuss minute ten, which begins with Indy doing a really wonderful homage to Esther Williams as he dives headfirst onto the parquet <laughs> dance floor. Uh, it moves on to him doing a fairly passable Axel Rose shimmy with some of the club dancers. It moves on to have him playing some drum cymbal frisbee with a man dressed all in black and ends with a good old-fashioned pink and white balloon fight. Jeez, Pete, I I can't follow that. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. Um, I do have a question, and Jonathan brought this up last minute, actually. And at the very beginning of this minute, um, I wondered, you know, is the orchestra kind of winking at us? Are they, you know, because we all just wit witnessed a restaurant patron get impaled with pigeon flambe. Yeah. And is that why they suddenly break into anything goes? <laughs> Just sort of as a little like, hey, hey, you know, watch what happens. Well, yeah, as much as the movie itself was winking at us when it started the movie with anything goes, I think, you know, hey, it's going to be an yeah. Indiana Jones rumpus ride. Anything goes. Well, and, and the interesting thing is, uh, Jonathan, as you mentioned, the band is actually providing the music for the madcap fracas. Yeah, at a certain point, the John Williams music fades out and and uh, they start playing their number. You know, it, I think the idea is that it's whatever it is, it's 9.45 or 10.20 p.m. and it's time for the second. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how many people are on fire right. or being punched. <laughs> I in the 30s and anything goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and I have to say, just as a as a musician myself, I've seen a lot of crazy things on uh, on gigs, but I haven't ever broken into anything goes when somebody gets slammed into the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Although it is inspiring. Yeah, remember that. Yeah, I would consider that. (laughs) So, yeah. we cut to Indy and Willie are crawling towards each other on the floor. Um, Indy's yelling the antidote and Willie's yelling, where's the diamond? And they kind of both get disgusted at each other and crawl on their <laughs> own separate ways. And at this point, the dancers start to come out of the dragon's mouth and they see Indy doing that invisible hula hoop move and they start screaming. Yeah. And Jonathan, I'm, I'm, I'm actually super excited to have you on for this minute because you had some really cool stuff in your book talking about uh, sort of an early version of this, what they were going to do. Uh, you'll have to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think you were, you were talking about how Indy actually went into the dragon's mouth and there was some kind of a lever that he pulled 
and the dragon started shooting fire out of its mouth and burned all of these guys chasing him. Oh, was that in the was that in the early script? Yeah, that was in the early script. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. That would have been cool. Well, and I guess what they did is they just replaced that with a symbol, frisbee. Exactly. Well, you know, I think they always it's always a little bit of blue sky when they're doing those scripts. And, uh-huh. you know, yeah. You know, they had like twice as many faces as they needed for raiders and. In fact, the whole, you know, as you guys know, the mine car chase was recycled from Raiders. Into uh-huh. So, yeah, there's always other stuff. I think Short Round was supposed to be in the scene, too. It was, they actually, it was actually in the shooting script. He was going to be in the club at some point, and they cut out that scene. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you know if he had like a role, if he was doing anything? Or was he just kind of watching what was going on? You know, I'd have to, I don't have the. Uh, script with me, so I'd have to I'd have to go back. I don't have access okay. to those anymore. He was in the place of Wuhan and he got shot. <laughs> I think maybe he would explain why he knew that he had to bring the car around. Yeah, oh, that's a yeah. good point. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of handy. Yeah, but I, you know, I was going to ask you guys: um, Have you ever seen the movie, the the Boris Karloff movie that came out uh, in the '30s called Mask of Fu Manchu? No. I haven't. I don't think I have either. It's worth seeing it on the DVD version. It's so politically incorrect. It's, <laughs> sure. It's amazing. But yeah. it, it's clearly something that these got Spielberg and, and George screened, you know, when they were doing this because it, it's, it's very much like it. Indiana, you know, very well, it, stuff that inspired Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. And in particular, when I was at, at I watched it the other day on TMC, and then rewatching this, I think that you know it, it it's shades of Fu Manchu, basically. Huh. Interesting. I definitely have to check that out now. But yeah. you know, more politically correct, although not that much. I mean, they still yeah. <laughs> in this movie. It's definitely a sliding scale. Yeah. You're right. We we you know it's funny you mentioned that because we I mean discussing this movie minute by minute, we do kind of run up against some. Uh, some issues, I guess, with regards to that. And uh, just, I guess, the treatment of, of um, I don't know, the treatment of it, not exactly politically correct. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not. The, the villains here are, are basically throwbacks to, to uh, you know, 1930s style villains. In the whole, and, and particularly once they get I mean, I know we're not at that minute yet, but once they get into the Temple of Doom, it becomes very much so that. And mm-hmm. and there there was there was a fair amount of uh, people being upset when the movie came out. Yeah. Not to mention the violence too. And the, you really, it really, if you watch the Boris Karloff movie, it is unbelievably violent for 1932. Huh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Also, with you know sort of sexual depravity and you name it. Huh. Do tell. <laughs> I mean, it's still 1932, but yeah, given what they're hinting at and everything, it's, it's, I, it blew my mind. I was really surprised. And for a long time, you could only see that movie in a censored version because rightfully so Asian Americans were outraged by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that in 1984 they could, say oh we're doing a throwback to the way races were treated uh in the 30s but 
even just, you know, I'm not going to do the math, but 30 or 40 years later, uh, that would never fly now. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you couldn't just say, no, 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 I'm doing it like they did in the 30s. It's cool. Um, Right. There would have been a lot more uproar, I'm sure. There was still enough. Yeah, there was still enough of, I don't know what you'd call it, momentum from the 1930s (laughs) to ride that wave. Yeah. But now it's it's no longer around. You can't get on that wave anymore. Right. <laughs> well, and and when the bad guys in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the bad guys are Nazis, every they, right. everybody gets a pass on Nazis. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. The Nazis <laughs> might have complained, but who was listening? Yeah. <laughs> well, Jerry, I have to ask you. Uh, as a as a you mentioned that you're a musician. Do you prefer a musician, drummer, or percussionist to describe yourself oh uh, well drummers are notoriously treated as the family dog <laughs> yeah okay, in so a drummer. band we all know it's okay. like yeah it's like everybody everybody's like well get in the christmas picture that's lovely come on <laughs> up you know and they pet you on the head and they feed you the scraps under the table sure but there's never actually a seat for you at the table yeah so i think with that in mind they are uh vehement about being called a musician okay so, <laughs> the reason I asked, you probably know where yeah. this is going. If you threw mm-hmm. a symbol at a guy's face, no matter what kind of symbol it was, would you expect it to make this kind of sound? <laughs> well, I'll, I will read to you exactly what I've written on my notes. All right. That would absolutely kill to get hit in the face <laughs> with that symbol. <laughs> But, but you know, they did do a decent job um, using a small symbol like that um, because it being 1935, that's right around the time that Gene Krupa and, and, and swing music is getting bigger mm-hmm. and symbols needed to be made larger and larger and larger. But they, they weren't really at that point in 35. They didn't get bigger till you know, really Gene Krupa became more popular in the movies and they needed larger symbols to make more noise to cover over the big band horns. But, um, so that actually is completely period accurate that they used a little symbol like that. And then it sounded accurate too, because I was complaining about the opening gong and how that's not how that gong would have sounded. But, um, that is what that symbol would sound like. The only thing missing was you would have two crash noises. One where it splits the guy's face, <laughs> and it would crash as it did, which was beautiful. It, it, you know, the sustain was a little too long on it, but it was good. And two, when the symbol then hit the floor. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. So it would have been like a. Yeah. Well. But um, you know, a plus for the set designer. <laughs> there you go. Minus one point for Ben Bird for not putting in the second. <laughs> well, but he did get the sound. He did get apparently the right basic sound, right? I mean, he did. It's a kind oh, of, yeah, he he absolutely did. Absolutely, kind of thing I would expect him to get right. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is to be fair. This is the first time we've ever taken a point away from Ben Burt for anything. <laughs> <laughs> He's got you know, pretty much infinite points already. So yeah. Well, and at that point, I'd say if it's Ben Burt, would he probably the symbol probably hit the guy in the face? He fell down, and then it probably landed on his his soft, fleshy yeah. chest. <laughs> yeah, he could explain to you why yes. why he intentionally didn't put that in, <laughs> thus uh, muting the second crash. <laughs> well, the thing ben, Ben's always up against is that they're so you know the cuts are so fast. He has to 
he has to respect the you know the cutting energy and not mm-hmm. have the sounds or sometimes it, you know i guess it, it's a decision he has to make each time is how does the sound relate to the film edit right um but it'd be fun you know we did a book i did a book with him on the sounds of star wars it'd be fun if we did one on the sounds of indiana jones oh, oh that'd definitely be awesome. yeah yeah and the, the sound he has here for the knives that are being thrown at Indy are great. <laughs> yeah. Are those knives? What exactly are those? They got like little things coming off them or something. Oh, I'm not like sure. traditional martial arts weapons or something to me. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. They almost look about. like like they're pointy-ended and they have like a blade coming off them or something. I don't know. You, you know, they looked exactly like the darts that come out of the wall in the Chachapoyan temple. <laughs> Not really. No, oh, come on. <laughs> Give me a, I mean, I thought a little bit, a little bit, right? No? They're a little bigger. And they're shaped differently, too. Are they? Yeah. All right. I did wonder if this was uh, another piece of evidence in the uh, Star Wars dream theory. So, Jonathan, one of our theories we've been examining is, uh, are the Indiana Jones movies the fever dream Han Solo has while he's encased in carbonite? And I'm wondering in this scene, you've got like several guys shooting at Indy point blank range. And is this sort of him remembering stormtroopers? Because they all miss. <laughs> and they all miss like perfectly like a silhouette around <laughs> around his body. It's possible yeah. that it's all a fever dream of Harrison Ford when he's smoking a huge amount of marijuana. <laughs> yeah, easily. Yeah. <laughs> Which of course he would never do. Of course. <laughs> We're just making stuff up. <laughs> One minute at a time. <laughs> well, there is a very oh, uh fever dream like cut here is they throw the knives and then Indy kind of does that frisbee toss of the, the symbol back. And right before like as they're throwing the knives, the orchestra uh area here is completely filled and then they cut to Indy and they're all gone. And I kind of like this because it's very sort of a surreal, like it was sort of like Tom, how you thought Tote was running away and jumping in his car at the end of Raiders. Like <laughs> yeah. I just picture all of these guys like running off as soon as the knives come out, like their legs are doing like that tornado thing or they all look like right. wheels. <laughs> <laughs> you know, does anybody know what Indy says to Lau when they're, I, I don't know. Well, P, you were saying there's yeah. the question that, that he's even speaking any kind of language earlier. Yeah. Yeah, everything I had seen, people were not able to decipher what he was saying. So, we, Jonathan, we were sort of toying with the idea that maybe Indy was pretending to speak Chinese and Lao was kind of humoring him. <laughs> are, you, are you sure? Have you got Mandarin or Cantonese uh, native speakers to take a look at that? I, I have, I haven't actually. We I need to ask some friends to take a look at this. Yeah, I'll, I'll see what we can get some more well, firsthand. Yeah, research. my guess is it because that's the kind of stuff they would definitely get right. It's either that or they're or they're speaking some sort of ancient dialect, which is somehow related to the, you know, the the idol or the ashes. <laughs> right. Sort of yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't imagine they would get that wrong because they were really. You know, in an odd way, even though it's total fantasy, they, but cer- certain things they would want to get right. I think that'd be one of right, them. Right, right. And it's actually written out in the screenplay, at least an earlier version that, I, that I've that i seen. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the actual dialogue. 
but I can't tell if what is written down is what he's saying in the movie, and then I wouldn't know what it said anyway. And it's also, <laughs> yeah, it's also possible, like, Mandarin is notoriously difficult because it, it involves, like, tonal changes. Like, the mm. same word can be pronounced with three different tones and mean three different things. So, it, it, I mean, I think it's, if you don't know any Chinese, it's probably really hard to reproduce. Um, you know, one thing well, we, we have. A... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to give sort of a shout out to the production design of these two minutes that we're looking at. I don't know if you guys already talked about that in another minute, but it's a great sort of very simple but wonderful set. You know, it's the kind of set you wish you could have visited. Uh-huh. You know, the whole sort of club Obi-Wan. Yeah, yeah. It's got that great parquet floor. Well, and we talked a little bit about this, too. I mean. There are shots with Indy um, that are very he's, – he's framed in uh, red, white, and blue. And I even saw a few of those in this, in this minute too. And then when they – you know, when we see Lao, he's in black or black and red, you know, kind of traditional American verses. That's right, Jerry. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Indy tosses this – symbol at, at the guy and he falls into the ice bucket the two ice buckets and yeah. knocks him over and i i actually love this gag i think it's great <laughs> like this is one of it just reminds me like something straight out of buster keaton or harold lloyd where there's a prop that exists purely because it's hilarious you know it's like the yeah. piano that's standing over the road or like the guy's carrying the big piece of glass <laughs> it's like yeah. the perfect thing if someone's looking for a diamond are two you know ice buckets right <laughs> that's pretty awesome and then if that doesn't work add balloons lots and lots of balloons which i guess i don't know does we were saying that uh it seems like the band and it also seems like the dancers are just kind of like going by the clock they're like oh 9 30 time for swing you know <laughs> so maybe it's like maybe the balloons were like well this is the point and anything goes where you drop the balloons no matter what kind of fracas is going on exactly um well i wondered is is that how the end of anything goes is um, red, red, white, and pink balloons descend from the ceiling. <laughs> it didn't last time. I think that's mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was wondering: is this like New Year's Eve, or is this because we were kind of we spent a lot of time on Raiders trying to figure out what time of year it was? No, it's just it's just pre TV. People had to go out and have fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> so it's just nine thirty. The balloons drop. Like every you, you can set your yeah. clock by it. Happy New Year every night. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, Indy kind of look or Willie screams. She sees the antidote. Indy yells for her to stay there, and suddenly she looks up, almost like she's in an ecstatic trance. But then you sort <laughs> yeah. of realize she's just she's heard the balloons being released. Right, right. And puts the antidote in the front of her dress, and suddenly the balloons start falling everywhere. And uh, Indy runs in, and we get some really good uh, face kicking and kind of general balloon <laughs> fracas. Yeah. You know, what's also amazing is that um, I, I went and refreshed my memory before we had this. I did read like the little I wrote about this in the book, and it reminded me that uh, Harrison Ford was having a terrible back problem at the time mm -hmm. they shot this. And he actually was sent back to the States, and they started filming this whole thing with uh, Kate Capshaw just doing her parts. And so he wasn't even around. Oh, wow. a lot of the shots where we see just her wow huh. yeah and then he you know and then they shut down for weeks I, I believe 
And then they came, you know, Harrison Ford got, they had some very sort of dangerous and uh, I guess forward progressive kind of treatment, which worked semi-miraculously. And he came back and they were able to shoot his parts. But then, you know, Michael Kahn is such a great editor. They just edit it all together seamlessly. You'd never know that there might've been three weeks between him, her looking up and <laughs> him looking at her, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Movie yeah. magic. <laughs> oh, I wonder if that was marijuana. <laughs> bad, bad, bad back. <laughs> Medicinal use. Yeah. <laughs> well, how much, you know, Star Wars, you know, is sort of famous for George Lucas would film a lot of stuff and then really start to put stuff together in the editing room. Was was this more planned out, do you think, like scene by scene? Like everything was storyboarded and they knew exactly what they were going for. Did they do a lot of, was it pretty creative with the editing, just sort of taking what they had? Uh, for this scene, I mean, I, there was a lot of stuff storyboarded out for Temple of Doom. But, you know, I think it's like anything, you know, you get to the set and Spielberg is flexible. If you see something that's better or not working, you know, the storyboards are a suggestion of what he was doing. Hmm. Um, it's different if second unit goes off and shoots it, then they're really beholden to the storyboards. Uh-huh. Um, but I, as far as I know, Spielberg shot most of this or all of it himself. Um, so, but I'm feeling he just kind of, you know, probably a mixture of things, storyboards uh-huh. and spontaneity. Um, but unlike, you know, George is different. I mean, I remember the first time I interviewed him, he said, you know, I'm not a director. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he says, no, he said, Steven is a director. He knows what he's doing. He's like, he didn't say like Hitchcock, but he's kind of like, you know, he, he knows what's, how it's going to sort of cut together in his head and he's filming what he needs uh, for that cut, you know, and he, he'll do some safety. Whereas George is really an editor at heart and he edits his films, you know, George, whoever's credited as an editor for the most part is just doing what George tells them to do. And uh, whereas Spielberg, you know, primarily just in terms of con, relatively speaking, films what he needs for st- certain uh, shots that can only go, go together in a certain way. And then Michael Kahn just sort of does it and shows it to him. And Spielberg makes, you know, changes. But Michael Kahn does the editing. Hmm. So it's, it's different. That's, that's why, you know, later Spielberg could go and, shoot Schindler's List while Michael Kahn was editing Jurassic Park. Yeah. Oh, wow. you know, George could never do that. George is in uh-huh. the editing room every day with the editor. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Good. Yeah, a good answer. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have a question for Jonathan. Just um, what would you say is the, just some of the, I guess the, tonal color differences between Raiders and Temple of Doom? Well, in terms of the, the feeling, I mean, it, you know, everybody said and those guys and Steven Spielberg and George would say that they were both going through a sort of a darker period in their lives. You know, George is, was going through a divorce. I forget, but I think Spielberg was going through something like a breakup or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the movie is a lot darker and in a way, you know, originally they had envisioned or particularly I think uh, George had envisioned 
Indiana Jones as a darker character, sort of more of a treasure of Sierra Madre, Humphrey Bogart, alcoholic, kind of washed up James Bond, who sort of is out there still doing these dangerous adventures, uh, and a bit of, you know, just barely on the right side of the law. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really come off that way in Raiders, but in Temple, you can, it kind of does. You know, Fortune and Glory, they're, they're not doing anything really good until he realizes that all these kids are being enslaved and then he becomes more like the first you know the first film where he's freeing the kids mm-hmm. um again that's a long-winded answer <laughs> no no uh, that's the kind of stuff we wrestle with constantly on the show is like what like who is indiana jones what is he because yeah like he we talked constantly during raiders about how uh yeah, that background of him, the treasure of the Sierra Madre, the kind of drunk, kind of jerk, womanizer kind of guy, and that the guy that we got was sort of came from that, but didn't end up being that. But there's still shades of that in there in Raiders, it seems like. But then, yeah, I guess I always think in broad strokes of Temple of Doom of him being like more of like a, you know, sort of gung ho kind of flawless hero kind of guy. But maybe you're right. I'm going to just based on what you just said, I'm going to have to. That's going to skew my vision of him now from <laughs> for the rest of this movie, and maybe in a well, good way. Yeah, I mean the 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 I can't remember the exact chronology because I haven't watched it recently. But they go to the village and they're and they're saying, you know, all of our children have disappeared. Can you help us? And there's that scene with Short Round, and it's just Indy and Short Round, and he doesn't say, "This is our chance to do something good and free the children." You realize what these rocks are worth, or something like that. <laughs> it's it's kind of a dark moment, but you know, yeah. it some of it's kind of the dynamic between George and and Spielberg, kind of, you know, pushing and pulling during the script writing process. Mm-hmm. There's if somebody could do an interesting uh, dissection and say, well, that feels more like Spielberg, and that feels more like Lucas, and it could be an interesting exercise. Well, you know, and something I've been thinking about is Lawrence Kasdan famously said that um, he passed on the script and working on Temple of Doom because he felt that the story or he he just felt that it was mean spirited. Hmm. And, you know, I wonder, do, do you see that mean spirited flavor in here? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know which version of the script he read. I mean, at that, you know, he already to get him to do Jedi, um, you know, was was lucky. He was he was Kasdan was already out directing, and so to get him to work on any script was even a, a script that he and a project that he was really enthusiastic about would have been difficult because he was he had just moved on professionally. So, uh, but you know, it, there's probably some truth in that. Um, and like, like I said, it is it is pretty dark, and you know, and maybe he saw the sort of unpeaceiness of it as well. <laughs> like I, I don't want to write scenes with, you know, the 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 thuggies pulling people's hearts out of people's chests. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, they're just in in the movie I was mentioning the mask of Fu Manchu. The Fu Manchu shouts out, you know, death to white men. 
<laughs> death to all white people. Like <laughs> These guys are just, you know, but one sound bite away from that. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't know what was going through Larry Kasdan's mind. He did eventually come back and did a, do a Star Wars movie, though. That's knew. true. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he'll come back and do again. an indie movie. Well, maybe he just waited till everybody's love life had settled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all the divorces were done. <laughs> no, but it's fascinating. You know, in in Skywalker Sound, uh, on Skywalker Ranch, there's a big building. It's called the Tech Building, and uh, or it's also referred to as Sky Sound. And in the sort of cafeteria area, there's a all over there's huge movie posters, and in the cafeteria area. There's this huge poster of treasure from Treasure of Sierra Madre, and you have Humphrey Bogart wearing this hat, right? Mm-hmm. And, my, and I would sometimes take people on tours, and I'd say, you know, why is that poster in in this area? And a few people would know it, but our, but actually only I think one person. But <laughs> they got it right. <laughs> is that's because this is you know, it's Sky Sound, Ben Burt, Indiana Jones, and it came from this hat. Bogart's wearing, you know, in, in uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre, you know, that's the ma- that was the the if there's one inspiration, it was that movie, and he's not a very nice character in that movie. No, he's not. <laughs> and I think, and I think, in the earlier versions of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Marion was quite young when they first yeah. had the tryst. It's it, it it's debatable how how old she ended up being at, during their tryst. Like yeah, it seems like maybe she was still really young. They don't really they're not very clear about it. But yeah, we kind of wrestled with that too. Yeah, I think the original idea was that he was kind of definitely overstepping his bounds as a grown up. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, again, not very PC. Right. <laughs> well, especially imagine you're writing a story about the hero. Yeah, <laughs> who's doing that? You know, yeah. yeah. The earliest thing you know about him is that. <laughs> that's, that's why, again, <clears throat> I really recommend you guys see this movie because it comes from, uh, you know, this sort of dark place and the EC comics too, which those guys loved, which were some mm-hmm. which are to this day truly horrifying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's make, but you know, it's make believe so. Yeah, get away with it. Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, one final thing I like in this minute um, is sort of this general melee is going on the entire time. That bald gong player is just standing back there silently, kind of stoically watching everything. <laughs> really? I didn't notice that. That's funny. Nah, I'm telling you, family dog. <laughs> no matter what happens, you just stand there, drummer. <laughs> yeah. Nobody, nobody's trying to save them. Nobody's saying, "Hey, man, we got to get out of here." You see the pigeon flambe skewer? You guys have been talking about uh, Harrison Ford's two-step and things like that. He, yeah. he would often refer to you know, the physical acting, and I, and I think that's what he Harrison Ford is truly great at is these things where you know they're just uh, little things, little gestures and fights, uh, looks. Uh, two steps as you mentioned where you know there's no lines he's not really given any lines but he's the the physical acting that he's doing is so good yeah i i think it's one of the things that made him you know such a hugely bankable star for so long and he and you he would often say too that okay han solo was written maybe as a 2d character but 
or Indiana Jones, but when since he plays them, the third dimension is him. So yeah, think, that's a good point. I yeah. think we can't yeah. give him not give him enough credit for you know embodying these great characters. Yeah, definitely. He's my hero growing up. <laughs> yeah, my yeah he's really phenomenal. He he's great in this scene too, in this fight scene. Exactly what you said is his body language and, and even the some of the his facial gestures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, when he slaps the first guy in the previous minute, I mean, there's anger in there, you know? It's like it's like the way Sean Connery would punch people as James Bond. Yeah. Roger Moore could never punch somebody that way. He just couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. John Connery really get the idea that he enjoyed it. There was a bit of yeah. <laughs> and and with Harrison Ford, it's more of like a righteousness, uh-huh. you know, uh, and it's great. You know, I don't know where it comes from, but these guys are just there's something wonderful about watching them. What that's amazing. It is a righteousness <laughs> Through, throughout Raiders too. It's like for some reason, no matter what he's doing, even if it's maybe not that savory. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you feel like, well, it's it's clearly got to be for the better good. <laughs> right. You know, there's a righteousness in in each fist. Yep. <laughs> cool. On that on that righteous note, does anybody have anything else about minute ten? I got Not nothing. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, this has been awesome having you here, Jonathan. Um, can you tell people where they can find you online and uh, anything you'd like to tell them about what you're working on again? Uh, yes, you can find me. I have a website, jwrinsler.com, and you can find me on Twitter at, at jwrinsler. And uh, I'm working on a book about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and another one about uh, sort of like a visual analysis of Jaws, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know when either of these will be out, but um, I'm hoping in the next year or so. Excellent, and you wrote a uh, uh, an Indiana Jones book, didn't you? I mean, like a like a like a fiction. Yeah, yeah, I had a really great time doing that. It was for Scholastic. I wrote a Indiana Jones and the Mystery of Mount Sinai, and uh, I I resurrected the villain that from Raiders who was going to have a mechanical arm. Right, right. Yeah. He's on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. That cover wow. is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's on the cover. Yeah. And Greg Knight, uh, who used to work with Lucasfilm and now works for EA, did the illustration for the cover and we worked closely on it. That was just, the whole thing was a lot of fun. It was fun writing indie. You know, I got his father in, is in there in the book and a lot of fun stuff. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check it out, everybody. Um, and certainly if you haven't yet, uh, check out the complete making of Indiana Jones and the making of Star Wars. They are absolutely fantastic. And Tom, can you tell people where they can find us? Uh, no, but Jerry can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have uh, 115 episodes where we discuss Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you'd like to check out some of the earlier uh, minutes, you can find that at www.indianajonesminute.com. Also, we, uh, we're on Facebook. We have a whole uh, listener's crusade where people come and and talk about all sorts of things like what sort of noises symbols would make and uh, <laughs> how dark is really dark when it comes to Temple of Doom and all sorts of stuff. That's at the Indiana Jones Minute Listener's Crusade. 
We're also on Twitter, Twitter at Indiana Jones Min. So find us there and uh, join the discussion. Yeah, and you can also find us right back here on Monday for Minute 11 of the Indiana Jones Minute. Oh, somebody's got to say something. I know. What do we yell this time? <laughs> the, the antidote. Where's the diamond? <laughs>